good to be reminded this morning that Jesus is the rock of ages, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the living stone. Amen? Amen. Amen. We thank God for this fourth uh, Sunday of Kindred. Uh, for the past uh, several weeks, uh, three or four weeks, we have been uh, exchanging pulpits, uh, choirs from various churches, singing at different churches, and today we were blessed with Evangelical uh, Chinese Church Mandarin Choir, and so we have richly been blessed this morning. And this, these four weeks have been such an enriching time, I don't know about you, but for me, uh, to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ uh, from Damascus International Fellowship, from ECC Redmond and ECC Seattle, and uh, just to uh, be, uh, to reflect the multi-ethnic family of God, because we know that reconciliation is not an option in the Christian life. It is at the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, where Jesus says that we, uh, we make our appeal to every man, every woman, be reconciled to God. And so uh, we are committed to reconciliation. And this last Sunday of Kindred, uh, I've been given the task of preaching from Philippians chapter 4, verses 21 to 23. And uh, from the title, we are better together. So I invite you to stand to read these three verses with me from Philippians chapter 4, verses 21 to 23. Let us read together. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The friends who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of the emperor's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord lasts forever. We are better together. When one begins to read Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, you will have to conclude now, here is a man who is deeply in love with Jesus Christ. And the overflow of his love for Jesus is so overwhelming that it manifests itself in his love for the people of God. Paul was a man who truly wanted to know Christ in the deepest sense of the word. As a matter of fact, one writer said that the letter to the Philippians is the most intimate of all Paul's letters. Paul writes this letter with such spiritual warmth that you get the feeling that he's sitting together with his Christian brothers and sisters by a warm campfire by the seashore. In a real sense, he wants them to feel the same spiritual intimacy with Jesus that he feels. So these three closing verses written by Paul's own hand speaks volumes to us to what Dr. Darius Daniels calls relational intelligence, or RQ as he puts it. 
It's the ability to discern if someone should be a part of our lives and what place they should occupy and then align them accordingly. He goes on to say, God sends certain people into our lives in certain seasons for certain reasons. However, while God sends them, we must see them and receive them. When God releases them, we must recognize them. When God assigns them, we must align with them. Throughout Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, it's clear that he had spiritually invested in the lives of so many of the believers there. And throughout this letter, we begin to see uh, Paul uh, just establishing that relational connection. He had developed uh, relational capital in the church and therefore had earned the right to be heard. And throughout this letter, Paul gives the church a relationship-building toolkit for Christian unity. There's a commitment in Paul's letters to uh, be rightly related to one another. There's a commitment in Paul's letter to be rightly related to God and and the spiritual depth of intimacy of our vertical relationship with Jesus Christ produces a healthy horizontal relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says in so many words to the church in Philippi that we are better together. There may be conflict. But there is reconciliation in Christ. There may be disagreements, but there is unity in Christ. There may be conflict, there may be disagreements, whatever may come, but we are better together in Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to talk about today, this this subject, we are better together. Because there's some things that Paul has the teachers, one of the things I notice about Paul, and I don't know, you know, Paul may be in his late 50s or early 60s, but he seems to repeat himself a lot. <laughs> and sometimes you don't know whether it's old age or it's the Holy Spirit, but it could be both, amen? <laughs> but nevertheless, Paul says in verse 21, he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The friends who are with me greet you. First of all, we're better together when there is a commitment to Christ-centeredness. We're better together when there is a commitment to Christ-centeredness. The verb he uses, the, the word greet, is a very common word that Paul likes to use at the beginning and end of his letters. But in this instance, he uses the the verb greet in the singular. And nowhere in in any of his letters except in this particular instance, he uses it in the singular. So it, it may be translated, I want each one of God's people to know that I remember them. Or it could be translated, embrace every one of God's people in Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, in today's vernacular, we might say, or Paul might say, 
give everyone a big hug for me. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is, is uh, you, you see the relational collection, uh, connection that he has established and cultivated with the Christians in Philippi. And in essence, what Paul is saying, to be, to be a Christian means to be in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. You can't be authentically Christian in isolation. You can't be a Christian all by yourself. Being in Christ is not an individual reality, but it is a communal reality of the ecclesia, the called out community of God. John Calvin, when commenting on this verse and on this section, he, he puts it this way. He says that this in Christ motif that we see in Paul's letters, in particular here in Philippians, refers to that joining together of head and members, that indwelling of Christ in our hearts. In short, in short it's that mystical union that is record, accorded by us of the highest degree of importance. So that Christ, having been made ours and we having been made his, makes us sharers with him in the gifts with which he has endowed us. Like what he's saying, he said that there's a, a mystical union that you can't quite describe uh, when you talk about this motif of being in Christ. In other words, John Calvin is saying on the day you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, something happened that can't be explained in human terms. And the best way to put it is by virtue of our special intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, we became brothers and sisters in Christ in the purest sense of the word. We are bound together in Christ Jesus. God's spiritual DNA is in us. God has given you gifts, and therefore, you have something in you that I desperately need. And God has given me gifts, and therefore, I have something in me, a gift in me that you desperately need, and we need one another. We're on this journey together, brothers and sisters. Amen? Just the other day, I, I was at the grocery store, and I, was, and I saw a lady walking around with a shirt on, and it had the Superman symbol on it. And as I took a closer look at it, the, the writing on her shirt said, I'm a teacher, what's your superpower? And I thought that was so beautiful. I'm a teacher, what's your superpower? Well, it could equally be said about us as Christians that God has given every one of us in the person of Jesus Christ and by the power of his Holy Spirit a superpower. Some of us have the superpower of encouragement, and every time I see you, you're always encouraging somebody. Some of us have the, the superpower of hospitality. You can't help but be hospitable to somebody. Some of us have the, the superpower of, of, of preaching and shepherding and pastoring and, and encouragement and love and, and hope. All of us have superpowers for the edification and the building up of the body of Christ. 
So we could also wear a T-shirt and say, uh, I'm a Christian and my superpower is love. What is yours? All of us have a superpower, amen? And that's what makes the church better. We are better together when there is a commitment to Christ-centeredness, not self-centeredness, but Christ-centeredness. So Paul uses this motif of in Christ, and he talks about greeting, and he wants us to embrace every one of God's people in Christ Jesus. But not only that, there's another point he makes here, that we are better together when we embrace God's gift of diversity. Look at what he says here in verse 22. All the saints, especially those who of, of empress, the emperor's household, those of the emperor's household. And this, this, this fact that, the fact that members of Caesar's household were included in getting, in greeting is, is significant. That we see Paul is highlighting this, and there were many Christians in Rome, some were even in Caesar's household. And perhaps Paul, while waiting trial, was making converts of Roman civil servants and soldiers. Paul sent greetings from these Roman Christians to the, to the believers in Philippi. And the gospel had spread to all strata of society linking people who had no other bond but Jesus Christ. The Roman Christians and the Philippian Christians were brothers and sisters because of their unity in Christ. Believers today are also linked to others across cultural, economic, social barriers because all believers are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so let us live like God's true, true family. There, we, we're better together, brothers and sisters, when there is a commitment to God's gift of diversity. This means, you know, you've heard me say this many times before, that the church is a little bit of heaven on earth. And if the world really wants to know what heaven looks like, they ought to be able to look at the church and say, oh, that's what heaven is like. They're encouraging one another. That must be what heaven is like. They're, they're visiting those who are, who are sick and those who are in prison. That must be what heaven looks like. They, they're loving on one another. That must be what heaven is like. They're clothing those who are naked. They are feeding those who are hungry. They are speaking truth to power. They are bringing down the principles of heaven on, on earth. That must be what heaven is like. This is what Paul is trying to get at. See, the world don't need to know what hell is like. Amen, somebody. We got enough of that going on around the world, but the world needs to know what heaven looks like, and heavenly-minded people behave like people who are followers of Jesus Christ and who embrace diversity. 
Like I said, there's a commitment. We recognize God's gift of diversity. Dr. King used to say this thing. He said, every man from a base black to a troubled white is significant on God's keyboard. In other words, when a pianist plays the piano, they don't just play the white keys. Amen, somebody. They play the black keys as well, and it creates harmony. Every one of us are significant on God's Jehovistic keyboard. We're better together when we embrace diversity, God's gift of diversity. Not only are we better together for that reason, because we see what Paul is, is doing. I love Paul because, you know, when you think about Paul being on house arrest and every, and he's chained, chained to a Roman soldier, and Paul's commitment to the gospel, so he's constantly sharing the gospel with this Roman soldier who's chained to him. Next thing you know, this Roman soldier becomes a Christian. And then uh, they say, oh, okay, he done made another Christian out of one of our soldiers. Let's send another soldier over there. Next thing you know, next 25, 24 hours, Paul is, is sharing the gospel with, with another soldier. And this is, I think this is what happened in, in this particular verse where he says, you know, greet those who are of the emperor's household. Paul is what, what uh, Karl Barth calls di disruptive grace. That disruptive grace is when the established order is disrupted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul is infiltrating the emperor's household, Caesar's household, by making Christians out of Roman soldiers, and they're going in there, and then they're sharing the gospel. Grace disrupts the established order. The grace that comes down from heaven disrupts the established order on earth, and it turns the world upside down. It's what the church should, should be about, brothers and sisters. We're better together when we embrace reconciliation and God's gift of diversity. Diversity is not an accident. God intends for the church to be diverse. He intends for the church to be a place of reconciliation. He de he, he, he de he's depending on the church to establish this, this sense of reconciliation, not only in the church but in the world. Amen? But here's the thing, here's the thing, and this, this is what I really want us to, to zero in on. The, the, the last point, but not the least point, we, we're better together when we are committed to God's grace. Committed to God's grace. Look at what he says in, in this very short prayer, benediction. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I like the way Eugene Peterson puts it in his translation, the message. He says, receive and experience the amazing grace of the master, Jesus Christ, deep, deep within yourselves. Paul begins this letter in Philippians 1-2 with grace, and he ends this letter with grace. So this letter is bookend, bookend with grace. 
on both sides. And so here we see Paul is saying we, we, we are better together when there's a commitment to God's amazing grace. As Christians and as the church, we have God's grace running through our veins. That because of Jesus Christ, grace and truth came, to Je came through Jesus Christ, we have God's grace running through our veins. Paul desires that the Philippians may apprehend more fully the grace of God in which we stand. Paul is always talking about grace, whether we're in Romans or 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, and here in Philippi, he ends with grace. Gordon Fee says that this phrase describes not, not just a character or quality of Jesus Christ, but something Jesus shows us and something he does for us. He goes on to say that the Lord Jesus who is the source of grace, bestows it freely on the congregation at Philippi. And it will sustain the community, but it is by grace alone that they will stand. And it's by grace alone that we will stand. It's by grace alone that we stand where we are today. Because there's a deep, deep sense in which grace is working within us and working through us. God wants us to be grace givers and not grace killers. God wants us to extend grace and not practice ungrace, but be conduits of his grace. You know, in the natural world, we have what scientists call an ecosystem. It refers to a biological community of interacting organisms in their physical environment. It's a complex network of interconnected systems. I was driving down one of my favorite roads one day, and I like this road because it's a, there's a tall, beautiful tree that stands out above the rest. And you can't help but notice it because it, it's surrounded by other trees that seem to look up to it. And so whenever I see it, I, I call it the Jesus tree. The Jesus tree. But experts who have, have degrees in forestry tell us that trees can communicate with each other through their roots and a network of fungi. They exchange information about water and nutrients and even warn each other about predators. And when a tree is under attack, it releases chemicals that attacks the predatory insects. And it also warns nearby trees to ramp up their defenses. I love this. It's just like the trees in the forest, the church has an ecosystem called grace and Christ-likeness. Ephesians 3, 16 and 18 points to this reality. Paul tells us 
about the ecosystem of Christ's likeness and grace in the church that keeps it spiritually and emotionally healthy. Look at what Paul says. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted, that's the ecosystem, and established or grounded in love, may have power together with all the saints, the ecosystem, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. Paul is concerned about the ecosystem of the church. He wants the church in Philippi to be spiritually and emotionally healthy. He realized that nothing could be more toxic and detrimentally unhealthy to the ecosystem of the church than the predatory insects of self-righteousness and self-centeredness. You see, our sinful nature the world system teaches us to be self-centered. But we are called to be countercultural and to adopt a lifestyle of grace and Christ-likeness. And that is, brothers and sisters, a humble-mindedness that is organically rooted and grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. It requires an emptying of oneself. Paul talks about this in Philippians 2.5. And an ECO system of the church, exalting Christ only. And see, if everybody, Paul is saying, if everybody was committed to an ECO system, exalting Christ's only system in the church, if everybody was committed to that, there would be no time for self-righteousness, no time for self-centeredness, but there would be a commitment to exalt Christ only. Amen? Prayer for us today is what is the Lord Ask the Lord, what is it, Lord, that I do not know intimately about you that I need to know? God wants an ecosystem of grace and Christ-likeness to perpetuate the church. This is what Eugene Peterson is getting at, that there's a, a deep, deep sense in which grace is working in us and working through us. You know, my wife and I had a, years ago, we, we were in Atlanta and we were trying to figure out what our next step was going to be. We were both feeling discouraged and down about ministry and we were, we were just sitting out on a deck at a restaurant and there were other people out there at dinner tables and there was a homeless man that just was walking by and, and he would stop at every dinner table and he would ask, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me, sir, can you sp spare some change? And he would go from one person to the next. And as Michelle and I were sitting there, he gets to us and he said, what's wrong with you? God is still good. Now, this is a homeless man. 
He's asking everybody else for some change, and he gets to us, and he says, what's the matter? God is still good. I looked at Michelle. She looked at me. I said, ain't nothing but the Lord. And then he went on to asking other people, can I spell some change? Can I spell some change? We start thinking about it, and I start thinking about that. So you know what? God is still good. No matter what comes our way, God is still good. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know that the God we serve is still good. There are times when our body is wracked with pain, but God is still good. There are times when we lose our jobs and there's conflict all around us, but I'm here to tell you today, God is still good. He's still good, I tell you. No matter what you're going through today, this too will pass. No matter what trials you're going through, I want you to know today that God sees you, he hears you, and when men fail, God succeeds. God is still good, brothers and sisters. And that's why we can we can hold our heads up. That's why, like Paul, we can rejoice, and I say it again, rejoice. That's why, like Paul, we can say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's why, like Paul, we can say I press toward the mark of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. That's why, with Paul, we can say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because God is still good. Amen. Amen. If I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word, Oh, song, if I can show somebody that he's traveling, traveling wrong, then my living shall not be in vain. Then my living shall not be in vain. Oh, my living shall not be in vain. If I can help somebody as I pass, Along, then my living shall not be in vain. If I can do my duty as a good 
Man art, if I can bring back beauty to a world abroad, if I can spread love's message that the master taught, then my living shall not be in vain. Then my living shall not be in vain. Oh, my living shall not be in vain. If I can help somebody as I pass along, then my living shall not be in vain.